Hello friends, this is Marianne McKibben-Dana and welcome to The Blue Room. We continue our series of Hope Notes in which we look at works of art and pop culture with an eye toward what they have to teach us about hope. In the spring of 2021, I chatted with my brother, Matthew McKibben, about the Lord of the Rings trilogy in an early Hope Notes conversation. He and I have shared a love of Tolkien's story and the Peter Jackson films for a long time. It's a love that goes beyond entertainment or even admiration. It has become almost a devotional text for us. When I despair over the state of the world, I might text Matthew and say, I wish none of this had happened, which he recognizes as a line from Frodo Baggins, who is weighed down with the task of destroying the One Ring, an evil object in Middle-earth. Matthew hears that line and knows it's his cue to quote Gandalf back to me. So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Or when one of us needs reminding that we're not alone, we'll share the YouTube clip which shows the beacons of Gondor being lit. This is a series of huge bonfires that are kindled one by one to carry the message across miles and miles of Middle-earth. The beacons are a call for help for a pre-industrial age, but for my brother and me, the scene is a reminder that hope remains alive if each of us does our part. Well, like many of you, I've been watching news of the invasion of Ukraine with alternating feelings of despair and fear, but also awe at the resilience and resolve of the Ukrainian people and President Zelensky. There are many podcasts out there that will help you understand the situation from a geopolitical or military perspective, and those are really important and frankly, way above my pay grade. Today, I wanna do something different. What I'm interested in is the narrative dimension of the crisis. What meaning are we making as we watch this extraordinary act of resistance? The world has been stirred and inspired by stories of ordinary Ukrainians standing up and standing firm against a foreign invader. Whenever I see images of students and software engineers and mothers taking up arms to defend their homeland, I must admit my mind goes right away to the second Lord of the Rings movie, to the Siege of Helm's Deep, when the men and boys of Rohan are enlisted to fight against the Urukai in a battle where they are badly outnumbered. Now I make this connection knowing full well that what's happening in Ukraine is not a movie. This is real. But to see connections between life and art doesn't cheapen the former, it deepens both. As historian Tim Snyder wrote recently, the people of Ukraine are teaching and consoling the rest of us. After sharing some examples of solidarity and activity in Ukraine, he says, it is not that the good undoes the evil, but that we feel better when we know that others are acting, responding, not giving up. Ukrainians are resisting, not just on the battlefield, but as a society. 
and through this they console us all. Every day they act is one when we can reflect and hope. The world is not empty. People do find courage. There are things worth taking risks for. Fans of The Lord of the Rings will recognize Tim Snyder's ideas right away in what's come to be called Sam's Speech. This is the speech Samwise Gamgee gives to his friend Frodo at an extreme low point. So low that Frodo has momentarily tried to kill Sam because he's so overcome by the evil of the ring he carries. Sam reminds Frodo of the great stories of old, full of danger and gloom, and how hard it was to see the possibility of a happy ending. But then he says, those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. He goes on, folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't because they were holding on to something. That there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. Let's listen now to a few minutes of my conversation with Matthew from last year, and I'll be back afterward to reflect further. I'm curious, uh, Matthew, you've heard those words so many times, but what, what hits your ears this time as you hear them again? Well, it's kind of a more, interpersonal notion of what there's a great moment early on in the first movie where Gandalf says and it's in that same scene we're talking about how it was grace that stayed Bilbo's hand did not kill Gollum he says something to the effect of it's so easy in times of difficulty to think evil is the only thing at play you know that like he says there was something else working some some other good working that got the ring to Bilbo some other ring that got the ring to Frodo. So it's like there are other forces in this world other than evil at play. So the Sam speech is a very interpersonal you know, representation of that speech, you know, and that whole notion of like, it's it's very easy during these hard times um, to think, oh, this is this this oppressive evil is is weighing on us. And it's very easy and understandable to think that the evil is all that there is, but it's that notion that there's this good that is also out there and that like that good is worth fighting for. And that, you know, so Sam is very putting into very direct and kind of personal terms, kind of what that good is that like, that we had all these chances of turning back that, you know, it would have been very easy to give up any number of times on, you know, up until that point in the story. And at that point he had given up, he had, you know, was standing on top of that sidewalk and, you know, he was putting the ring on and there's a ring race flying up there and like Sam tackles him and Frodo is basically ready to kill Sam. So he is in some ways kind of at like rock bottom. And the, the very idea that Sam was able to kind of channel that goodness and kind of bring him back is just, you know, it speaks to the character of Samwise and why he's such a great character in that story, mm-hmm. but also speaks to that notion of just, there's a greater good that's working that we sometimes can't see, but it's always there, you know, just as yeah. the bad is there, the, you know, the good is there as well. Yeah. Well, and, and I want to kind of turn us towards thinking, talking more specifically about hope, which we've been talking around, but as you're, as you're talking what I love about these stories is there's so many different expressions of hope. There's so many different ways of thinking about hope. And 
another, so that, that speech that I just read is in the two towers. Um, it's the second installment of the three and we'll talk in a few minutes about what is it about part two of a three-part series that, that is so resonant for, for many of us and, and we'll get there in a second. But another piece of that story that had, sometimes when I can't quite muster Sam's level of hope, the other one that I really turn to a lot is, um, and, and I have not read the book, so I'm, I'm gonna see if you happen to remember that, whether this is in the books or not, but there's King Theoden who is you know, having to fight this great battle against this huge army. And he says, uh, you know, there's sort of the, we're not gonna survive. This is gonna be the end of us, the end of, end of the world of men, really. And he says, mm -hmm. if this is to be our end, then I would have them make such an end as to be worthy of remembrance. And, and to me, that's when I don't have hope that there's some good that's moving toward us towards a, a positive end. But if nothing else, the, the honor of, of saying, even if no one is around to remember us, we are going to act in such a way that is worthy of being remembered. Mm -hmm. um, and I've actually, preached on that, that idea before the idea that, you know, we don't know what the future will bring. We hope that there is, like you said, we're going somewhere that, that there is a, a hand of good or what, um, you know, throwing in another property of, of Narnia, there's a deeper magic than even the, the evil witch was aware of, you know, and I believe in that deep, deeper magic, but even if that deep magic isn't there, there's just something, um, noble and beautiful about people fighting for it, even if it ultimately isn't, isn't present. So. And it's really funny because in the book, Helm's Deep is not even, you know, like in the movie, it's like, it's the Alamo. I mean, it's like the huge battle. It's been in, in the book. It's almost like, I mean, I, if I'm remembering it correctly, it's maybe a few, like a few pages and it's, it's very, I mean, it, it's a huge thing. So that's one of those things where like the, the storytelling instincts of Peter Jackson were so strong and like, and him being a filmmaker and kind of knowing what's very thematic um, definitely helped those stories in my opinion. Um, yeah, but and that's the whole thing for me about like, for one on the very base level, it's, it's like you kind of need that kind of kick-ass storytelling thing of like, we're just going to ride out, you know, but it's also, I mean, it's very true. I mean, sometimes you don't know what the end is going to be, but like you march anyway, you have to just go out there. You have to march, you have to do the thing. And like, yeah. you can keep retreating into the caves and, you know, and victory will be all the more impossible if you do that. But sometimes you have to just go out there and face it. And you, cause for one, it's the only thing you can do, but two, it's like, that's your only hope for survival. And like, the whole notion of fellowship in that story is so strong that like, I, I just love that moment where Aragorn remembers that Gandalf thing about like the light on the third day, and, you know, and that whole notion of like, hope is on the horizon. It's on the literal horizon, you know, and it's just such a great notion of like, we're just going to write out the face it. And yeah. And like you said, we're going to have a noble end because the fight is worth it, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 A few years ago, fantasy writer Alexandra Rowland coined the term hope punk. It's a combination of the word hope and punk put together. A little hard to say on a podcast. But the term hope punk was contrasted with the pessimistic dystopian fiction that is so popular these days. And Rowland says hope punk refuses to accept that the glass is half empty. Hope Punk keeps fighting for what's right, no matter what. 
It is grounded in love and kindness and courage. Roland writes, Hope Punk says that genuinely and sincerely caring about something, anything, requires bravery and strength. Hope Punk isn't ever about submission or acceptance. It's about standing up and fighting for what you believe in. It's about standing up for other people. It's about demanding a better, kinder world. Well, Hope Punk is the Lord of the Rings. An imperfect fellowship, even a broken fellowship, of ragtag characters who may not prevail but know there's nobility in trying, in staying true to the good worth fighting for. Hope Punk is also present in the people of Ukraine. It's very hard for many of us to sense which way the war is going. But many expected the country to fall quickly and easily. It has not. There's a sense in which the resistance, the defiance, is itself a victory. And as I read Roland's original article, I found myself exclaiming, oh, Jesus is hope punk. Well, it turns out I wasn't the only one to have this thought. Writing for a Catholic audience, Jim McDermott says, God thrives in the actual mess of our humanity. We are called not to resignation, but to empowerment. The future depends, he says, on fighting for a church more like Jesus, spontaneous and welcoming and celebratory, and trying to love and love and love. And nowhere do Jesus followers experience hope punk more acutely than in the season of Lent, the 40 days of reflection, preparation, and even repentance. Lent prepares us for Easter, when we recall and celebrate the story of Jesus' resurrection, of life triumphing over death. As a pastor, I can't tell you how many times I have said that the good news of Easter is hollow without going through the tribulations of Lent and especially Good Friday, when we remember Jesus' brutal execution at the hands of the state. Easter is meaningless without Good Friday. But this year, with more than three million people having fled their homeland in just a few weeks, where it seems like the fate of the entire free world is largely on the shoulders of the Ukrainian people, I'm not seeing Lent as a prerequisite to Easter, but as an end in itself. I'm glad the Christian story turns toward new life. I'm glad it doesn't end with death on a cross. But even if it did, this year in particular, it feels like that would be enough. Because what Jesus lived and died for is what I try to live for and hope I'd have the courage to die for that even if the good does not prevail, that it's still worth fighting for. The fight is itself the victory. Thank you so much for joining us for this encore of Hope Notes in podcast form. Please check my website, mariannemckibbendana.net, where you'll find a schedule of new Hope Notes conversations and a place to register so you can participate in real time. I'm Marianne McKibben-Dana, speaking to you from Reston, Virginia, the ancestral land of the Manahoac people. This podcast was produced and edited by Caroline Dana. 
Thank you as always for listening. Steady on.